Hello, and welcome to the Peculiar Book Club podcast. I'm so glad you guys are here with us listening today. Uh, this is Brandy Skilache, and normally we also have Davey on board as our producer. He's not here today, so I'm doing this solo, and it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure I won't mess anything up too terribly, hopefully. Um, but it's a beautiful day for a podcast, and uh, here in Cleveland right now, it is bright and sunny outside, which means everything looks very glittery, and glitter is going to be a big part of what we're talking about today. Also concrete, which again, just really feels right at home here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, glitter and concrete together, though, what does that give us? That gives us an amazing book by Alyssa Goodman. And this book is, oh gosh, it's a tour de force. If you don't know, Alyssa Max Goodman is also a photographer as well as a writer. And so this book is just bursting with energy and art, and it is about drag. And we are very excited today to bring Alyssa on for a chat. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Brandy. What a pleasure. I'm so glad to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. And you say that you you're actually a listener of our podcast, which is super great. We we get very excited um, when when the people we have on the show already know who we are, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to us being like, well, we're kind of like Morticia Adams if she had a book club, but it was science uh, <laughs> and social justice, you know. Things like that. So, um, so that's great, and we're we're really glad to have you. Now, normally when we have the the actual show show that we do, which is uh, up on YouTube, we always make a cocktail for the book. Now, we didn't do that this time because this is our podcast, but I have to ask because cocktails are such a big part of book clubs, I think, you know, at <laughs> wine too, of course. Um, do you have a favorite cocktail? Oh, it depends on the day. I would say the thing that I, I most often order is a dirty martini, a dirty mm. martini with three olives, uh, kettle one vodka, if I can. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a gin martini my, myself. Um, but you know what? I I used to I used to really kind of look down on vodka because I hadn't had good vodka. Then you start to drink good vodka. You're like, oh, it has flavor. I did. I, I thought this was just something you added to girly drinks. <laughs> um, I say as a non-binary person. Uh, but um, but yeah, so that's that is an excellent one. And and what's your um what's your glitteriest cocktail favorite? Like I think a dirty martini is pretty glittery. Okay, it can be, it can be. That's true. That's true. I was thinking, um, you know, what are those I love the the purple one. What is the purple one? Uh, not the last word. No one can make those because there's no chartreuse anywhere. Um oh in aviation, the the lovely violet ones. Those are that's probably my my, I really like those as a cocktail. So, um, well, that's cool. Adds the sparkle, you know. Yeah. Well, you know what? And it, it's it's a dirty martini, right? You've got a little, mm. a little schmutz in there. It's good. It kind of works out. Um, I actually like a dirty martini. My 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 partner does not. Mark, who we also call Lady Paws, does not like a dirty martini. He likes his though with blue cheese stuffed olives, which a dirty CEO. Yeah, yeah. Where where I'm like, you don't want the olive juice, but you want cheese floating in your, okay well you know to each his own so <laughs> <laughs> well we always like to start off by asking our guests where you got the idea from and of course um you're coming at this both as a writer and a photographer so i'm i'm extra interested in this question sure um well the book is a written through history of drag um and i was exposed to drag from a very young age. Um, I saw the film Tu Mong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Nomar, when yeah. I was 
seven years old. Um, and to that point, my mother had raised me on movie musicals from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And it sort of fit in perfectly with my visual sort of experiences at that time. Mm-hmm. These, these movies from the 1950s were just like these bright technicolor explosions of song and costume. And then Tuang Fu is the same thing, um, except it's happening in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really latched onto it. And drag has been a part of my life since then. And um, the book idea happened with the passing of the very famous New York drag queen, Flawless Sabrina, in mm-hmm. November 2017. And uh, I had known about her, uh, of course. And, you know, she had been covered as extensively as a drag artist could mm-hmm. be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that she was as much of a household name as, as anyone else. And I wanted to make her story, make sure her story didn't get lost. And all of the people who built the foundation of drag's culture yeah. in New York and beyond that we have now also weren't forgotten. Um, so I started toying with the idea after her passing um, and in March of 2018, I sat down with a colleague and told them my idea. And they said, yes, absolutely do it. And I actually started working on it that night. So from that point until the book came out was, uh, I think it was exactly, no, a little more than five and a half years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and pho- photography is such a huge part of this book. So um, I don't, I actually didn't count up, but how many photographs are in the book? There's a lot. <laughs> There's an insert um, that's several pages and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's <laughs> there are color photographs and black and white photographs. Uh, some are archivals, some are my photographs that mm-hmm. I have taken at different drag events that I've attended across New York, um, which I, I've been photographing drag in the city for, oh my goodness, probably as long as I've been here, which is almost 14 years. See, I think um, we need a coffee table book now. Yeah, <laughs> to go with, you know, like a companion coffee table book that's just like the images mainly. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, and then the cover image is also one that I took. Um, and then the art department um, sort of uh, pinked, pinked it. Uh, <laughs> they foofed it up. They cuffed <laughs> it. Yeah. No, it's um, it's a beautiful cover. I I love it, and I I actually think that um, this is a, a book that. I know several friends would enjoy as a gift. And so I think uh, those of you who are listening, you know, we've we've done a bit with trans identity. We've done a bit. This is, I think, the first time we've talked about drag specifically, though it comes up in other contexts of other books that we've done. And I just think that is, um, I know a lot of us are super interested in it. I've actually done some drag kinging. Well, I'm, it's very interesting to know whether you're a drag king or a drag queen if you're non-binary, but I've done some drag-ish things. Um and it's fun and it's amazing and it's a very freeing kind of kind of experience. And so I uh, I definitely I was thinking about it, plus the cover, too. I was like, it's so pretty. I've got to give those people as guests. <laughs> Dazzling. Um, and and, you know, the other cool thing about it is that it's it's history, too, because, of course, we're super into history in this club. If you as you probably know, I'm a historian um, as well. So, it, you know, I just like I, I'm writing a history of trans identity that's coming out in 2025. And it's so amazing. People are like, well, that's new, right? And I'm like, no, it's not new. Like, it's way, way old. <laughs> and drag is a very similar I, Drag in its current in, incarnation might be, you know, not as old, but like drag itself goes back 
a long yeah. time, as you point out. Yeah, very much. I mean, drag is an art form that's thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. And my book, uh, 160 years of, of that yes. history. Yeah. 60 years. Um, but it is, it is absolutely an art form that, that dates back to antiquity, if not before, <laughs> right. um, and has been influential, uh, across that time. Um, and perpetually across that time. It's not just, you know, a thing that's a trend every, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It doesn't it, really go away. It's, it's there all the time. Sometimes it's chased underground. Yes. But, um, as is yeah. most other <laughs> marginalized identities. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a vibrant, uh, and rich history. What do you think is the most, um, fascinating historical detail that you came up with because there's so much history in the book but like what really stood out to you that you went I did not know that um one of my favorite things is in the section where I'm talking about the uh the club 82 Mm -hmm. and there is a drag artist named Ronnie Morales and Ronnie Morales was born Conrado Morales uh, in Puerto Rico as a Puerto Rican drag artist, and then uh, became the co-author of the book for a chorus line as Nicholas Dante. Um, and so, what's really fascinating about that um, is not only is there mention of um, so Conrado Morales was also in uh, the Jewel Box Review, um, which was a, a, a drag review that toured the country for almost 40 years. Wow. Um, so there's reference to the Jewel Box Review in a chorus line. And the scholar Bud Coleman talks about this in an article that he wrote about uh, the Jewel Box, where he says, um, you know, it is it is so interesting that this reference is in a chorus line, not just that it's in a chorus line rather, but that everyone who was seeing this show would have understood it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Jewel Box Review had been, by the time a chorus line came out, um, chorus, uh, the Jewel Box Review ended in the 1970s. Um, So by the time a chorus line came out, the people who were going to see those shows um, would have known about the Jewel Box Review because it toured the country for almost 40 years. Um, and that was fascinating to me that drag was living uh, as an active part of the culture, even when it was often rejected by many members of even the queer community. Right, right. Um, at that time. So that is, that is sort of a lovely, <laughs> there were so many of these, um, I call them sort of Forrest Gump kind of moments. <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely something that I, I think about a lot in terms of uh, deep historical impact on, on both sides of the coin as both artist and audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the other things your book brings up a lot, and uh, I, I think this is important to address because partly because of our current situation, uh, where there's so much backlash against, you know, no like people attacking drag story hour, for instance, but that drag is 
it is an art form and like many art forms is also a mode of liberation is a kind of rebellion and uh, revolution even and i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that because i think some people are 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 new to drag i actually didn't encounter drag until i was much older and i remember the very first drag show i went to i wasn't expecting a for it to be so funny i, I like i didn't realize humor was such a huge part of it and b I didn't expect it to feel like such an empowering environment. And those were two things that I think are intrinsic to drag, but that if you're not familiar with it, you might not know. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, and this is something I talk about in the book, is that um, drag artists are, are versions of the self-made real. Mm. Um, they are... Um, they are power as creation, you know, they are truth as manifested as creation. And what's, I think, so beautiful about this art form is that, you know, for the most part, when you're creating something as an artist or as a creative individual of any stripe, um, it lives outside of your body. Um, but with drag, it lives on your on your body. And it's, there is some part of it that is an aspect of who you are in the way that, you know, any art that someone creates is an aspect of who they are. But then mm -hmm. to be able to wear it um, is, is an, an act of uh, embracing a part of yourself and putting it on the outside of your body where it may have only lived on the inside and then to be able to walk around and present it to people is, is something that a lot of artists don't get the opportunity to do. I would say that dancers get that. Um, mm. But, you know, that's not even a given because you may be performing someone else's work, you know. But if mm. you're a drag artist, that's your work, you know. Right, you right. I was trying to think of other, I was thinking of tattoo artists, but then again, unless you are the, like Kate Von D, unless you're making the tattoos and putting them on yourself, again, there's... You're right. That's a really interesting connection I hadn't made. Um, but also, I think the way they they play, you know, drag played a role in Stonewall, for instance. And so there's there's intersections with, and it, this is probably a question I should ask you because I realize some of our readers and listeners might be interested in knowing, you know, in what ways does drag intersect with the LGBT community in general, um, gay, lesbian, trans, like, you know, uh, non-binary, all those things. How does, how does trans, uh, sorry, how does drag kind of intersect with these different pieces? Because I know it's hugely important, but I, I, I find people asking, you know, well, are all drag, are all people who practice drag gay? Are they all trans? Are they? And it's 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 more complex than that. I was wondering if you wanted to kind of give a primer to those who might not be familiar with it. Sure. Um, so drag is for everybody mm -hmm. um, is something that I believe as long as it's done respectfully. Um, and I think the other the other part of it, too, is with an intention of creating drag, um, you know, sometimes the way that that i look at it it's maybe a little more of a liberal view than that but like for a primer i think that's a good place to start okay. um, <laughs> um you know like we could sit down and say you know if you have to go to work and put on a suit that's a version of drag too right well yeah exactly i mean and and certainly um I worked uh, at a place that was very committed to having me appear in uh, very feminine clothes. 
And it was a very frustrating experience because you're like, that I didn't make this. <laughs> that's that's like enforced drag, you know. That's not creative drag. That's like imprisoning drag. Yeah. Um, but drag is gender performance. Um, and you know, for the purpose of the book, I refer to it as gender performance, uh, an active pursuit of gender performance on or off stage. Um and um it is the um <laughs> I keep wanting to to define it by using the definition, which is not, Oh, I know. Isn't that always the trick? It is the embodiment and or parody of uh different kinds of gendered forms. Right. Um, so um, you know, you can be embodying um you can be embodying, shall we say, the feminine from a a point of, you know, having that that's the person that lives inside you that you're now putting mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the person that goes to the supermarket. Um, or it can be um, a, a version of uh, a self that you want to make fun of. It can be a version of a person that you want to make fun of. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of the drag kings that I see um, I don't want to say a lot of, but there are drag kings that I see who sort of like embrace this macho aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I actually go for in, uh, go for like Victorian gentlemen. Sure. <laughs> you know, it can send up gender. It can it can be uh, an embrace of an aesthetic. It mm -hmm. has undermining something like you know machismo or whatever. Yeah, it's it's it, it it's really it's or uh, a a condemnation, mm -hmm. uh, pretty, at least a critique. Uh, yeah, definitely. But it's uh, it is a a performance of gender at the the basis level. Yeah. Well, and and for me, so I mean, gender itself is a performance, and I think that's the other wonderful thing about that doesn't make it not real. I, I was as a non-binary person who's sort of gender fluid uh, and also as I'm autistic. And so everything's a, like being human is a performance. I don't know if y'all know this, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's all these secret handshakes y'all know that I always have to figure out. Um, but it's, it's like being an alien. Um, but these are performances that we do, social performances, in order to continue and maintain social cohesion. But social cohesion itself can be so damning in some ways. It's deeply damaging. And so this is a way of kind of undermining, but also saying, look, it's all performance. And drag is a way of saying, I welcome it. Welcome the performance. Don't think that it's like, come do the performance, see where the boundaries are, blur them, you know, but, but it's, it's empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, you also make mention to RuPaul's Drag Race. So t tell me, tell me your experiences of Ru. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I haven't met her personally. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all kind of met Rue personally? Though I sort of feel. Oh, no, I um, <laughs> um, so RuPaul's Drag Race is obviously like an incredible cultural juggernaut. Um, and I, what I often say too is that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to write my book if without the success of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. Okay. That's not yeah. that's my book is is based on it. You know, it features RuPaul's Drag Race because of the history of drag in New York. It has to. Um, but and, and if it doesn't, it's incomplete. Um, right. But 
uh, Drag Race has created this appetite for stories like these. Um, That is important and powerful. Um, But the other reason I wrote the book is because Drag Race is not the only story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the quote that I say often from the drag artist Trixie Mattel is... um, Saying you love drag, but you only watch Drag Race is like saying you love music, but you only watch American Idol. Uh, it is, <laughs> it is <sorry>. one. <laughs> I just feel the burn. There's so much fire right now. <laughs> is one aspect of drag. Um, and I wanted to make sure that people knew uh, the rest of the story, at least mm-hmm. as it pertained to drag in New York. Um And it's a very very rich, deep history. I mean, this book was originally almost 500 pages and that's (laughs) my poor editor. Um, And that is the history of one city. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A big city, but. Well, yeah, but every city that has a thriving drag scene, Houston, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, wherever else, Miami, Mm -hmm. um, will have books of equal length that could be written about that. We actually had, prior to COVID, there was quite a happening drag scene here in Cleveland. It's still around, but, um, you know, the... (laughs) When you can't, when you shut down performance venues, it it makes and and you're doing gender as performance. It's it's a difficult one to maintain. We still have our uh, drag bingo nights that we we do around here, um, but yeah, I do think it's changed it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do you find that it's resurging now after like the performances are kind of back? Are they back to the the way they used to be? I mean, are are. Um, well, I can only speak for New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really wonderful about New York is that, um, and this is not something that's been historically uh, the same, shall we say? It's mm-hmm. not been um, this way the whole time, is that you can go out in New York and see drag every single night of the week. That's true. <laughs> and that's, I mean, historically it's not the way it's always been um and so that's a really wonderful you know like if you're if you're in the mood like you can find it Mm -hmm. um that is that's wonderful you know i and that's the same thing for theater well no it's not the same thing for theater because there are places that are dark um you know a particular night um and it's i would say one of the few art forms where that is so possible every single night comedy is maybe another one um but uh that's a force you know Mm -hmm. to be so uh to be so present and to be so um accessible as well yeah you know let's talk about comedy for a moment because it's humor is such a part of Mm -hmm. drag uh, not every single show that I've ever seen, but almost all of them have a kind of comedic MC, at least, even if the individual performances are not necessarily meant to be funny. Um, what you know, what do you think is 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 beneath that? Is it is it kind of is it because of its brassiness? Is it because of its pastiche? Is it part of how of the empowerment? Why do you think humor is such a huge part of drag? That's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I win. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, wait, what'd you say? I said, I win. <laughs> Davey um, always has a quiz when we have our regular yeah. shows. And so I'm like, yes, I answered. I asked a question that no one has asked before. Sorry. Yeah, and it's a great one. <laughs> um, I think that it has a lot to do with um, the idea that there is something that we are sending up. There is something that is... Um, so over the top that is so outre that is so camp about all of the things that we are doing and i would say we uh, all the things that drag artists are doing on the stage that uh i think humor is an embrace of those things mm-hmm. um and is is a way to acknowledge that we're all in costume in a yeah. way oh i believe you that know? <laughs> um and that you know yeah this wig is you know a foot two feet high three feet you know <laughs> um, but that is just one costume in the in this space tonight you know mm-hmm. yeah um, that humor sets people at ease with that that's um, true breaks tension yeah. mm-hmm mm-hmm because if you, you know, you have a person get up on stage and just start yelling at you, it looks <laughs> like that can also be an extremely enjoyable. And I, I don't want to uh, <laughs> to yuck anyone as the right, saying. Right, goes. right. Um, but uh, I think oftentimes humor can be an easy way in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Allows the door to be open for other philosophical and ideological experiences as right. well. So it has that power of diffusion. And you know, and it's 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 interesting to me as well, because I also personally use humor as a defense mechanism a lot of times too, to cover over wounds. And I think, you know, there is a wounded many of these folks who, well, especially now, you know, um LGBT identities, but also people who are in drag because it's so visible. They are targeted. Uh, We are seeing terrible backlash of attacks of people who are doing drag story hour, uh, threats on people's lives, you know, and just uh, I think that it requires such fortitude. And I wonder if humor is part of that, too, because certainly provides me with some armor um, in, you know, it's like, oh, life is dark. We're going to laugh at that. (laughs) That's uh an, a very intelligent observation you know it is it is armor as much as the makeup as much as the costume as much mm-hmm. as yeah yeah so you know i know the the book takes us all the way up most all, basically to the pre- not this very moment but i mean it takes us pretty close to the present present moment how how are you feeling about you know just this book is such a celebration in a time when i think we need celebration and people are really being uh, blasted for what the completely benign, wonderful things. Um, I, like the fact that anyone would bring a gun to a children's story hour just is so horrific in my mind. Um, you know, this is a time for this book, I think. And we do a lot of social justice on the Peculiar Book Club. Most most of your most of my listeners already know that. But I think it's valuable and it's and it's important. And, but I wonder have you seen any blowback? Have you had any, uh, any yourself? Have you seen blowback from people going, you know, being negative about it? No, really? Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Um, and seen, I would say is, is the, 
the part of that, but right. I, I'm also, you know, I'm not just like, well, is that true? I think there was, there was an article that came out in one publication um, where the readers didn't think it belonged there mm. because about drag. I um, see. And yeah, like you can well, even, I, not engage. Right. Same thing. You know, it's it's been don't read the comments since the dawn of. Well, know, yes, that's true. That's true. But it, it is just a. Um, I'm I'm really I'm just really heartened by it because of course I'm getting ready to come out with a book that may upset people as well for for similar reasons, and I. I'm so glad to see it because it has, if you guys aren't aware, the the responses to this book has been amazing. If you go up to Alyssa's website, there's a wonderful place with a bunch of quotes from, you know, articles written about it, people excited about it and talking about how much it means to them to get this history. So overwhelmingly, it seems very positive. And I'm so glad to hear that because there's just been so much negativity. And sometimes you wonder how much negativity is, is this a few people who are just awful and loud or, you know, or is this really a kind of groundswell? It's hard to tell sometimes. Well, what's, what I will say is very heartening is that I had the opportunity to present my book at the American library association conference last June. And this was like peak anti-drag story hour time. Mm -hmm. um, when I pulled up to my hotel, they were, I don't want to say that they were there for me, but the hotel was outside of the convention center and outside of the convention center, there were people saying like with anti-drag sentiment, like written on, you know, whatever posters and protesting right. that and pulled up to the hotel. And I was like, Oh, my public, you know, but like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had, um, you know, there were people who were talking to me about sort of this prospect of, you know, librarians, who are the people who are hosting Drag Story Hour right now, um, not really knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. And um, in in my comments to to address those things, to, to talk about them. And um, so I talked about them and I talked about, again, like drag is an art form and, mm -hmm. um, you know, resisting the culture of oppression, especially when it comes to a knowledge base, developing one's own knowledge base. Um, and I had so many librarians at this conference who were so, this is before the book came out, who were so excited to have a galley of the book. Oh, um, so great. Who came up, a librarian who came up to the booth, who was wearing a shirt that said, I love cats and drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> so my kind of librarian yeah and i don't i don't say this as like a a way to toot my own horn but like i signed it was there to sign some galleys and there was a line like around to the next publisher that is great yeah um, of, of people who were excited about this book see um, that's that's what i like to hear and of course also i mean you guys know this peculiars librarians are the warriors that we need right these are the heroes we need the heroes we we don't deserve them but they're the ones we need you know um drag queens and cats and librarians this is this is the wave of the future but i i truly believe that i i really do librarians are often the ones standing in the gap against oppression against my 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 book the story of my book which is about the history of trans lives trans rights 
um, it starts with the end. Basically, the Nazis burn a library because they figure out like that's this is how you damage things, right? So the libraries really are powerful, and it's so good to see librarians standing up for this kind of stuff because you know you're like, aha, good, we got the we got the war hairs on our side. <laughs> So the the other nice thing that happened recently was that um, Glitter and Concrete was named a Stonewall Honor Book. Oh, great. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And that's something that comes from the American Library Association as well. Um, So all the copies of the book moving forward will have a seal that says Stonewall Honor Book. And I just, you know, if that means that more people will be able to see it and have this information, I mean, that was one of the biggest things in this process is that I wanted people to know they had roots, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. And to right. your history in, in a, in a book is, yeah. is in, no matter who you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just always believe that having access to your history should be a right and not a privilege. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So to be, you know, have this book potentially read more, reach more people mm-hmm. um, because of that is is really wonderful and the reason I wrote it. Well, and and I, you know, th- I was myself surprised by the role of drag and trans people in the Stonewall Uprising, and I hadn't. I thought, why isn't this more front and center? You know, you don't. And so again, it, to have a book like this that says, "Hey." We we're leading the charge in many ways, and we can't forget these histories. Um, you know, somewhere there's a there's a teenager struggling, who's going to see this book and go, oh, you know, it like that's such a wonderful thing. And honestly, one of the big reasons this peculiar book club exists, and why books like these are are in our milieu, right, is because we exist at an intersection of history, science, and social justice. And we we also do some fiction, but a lot of the fiction also kind of weirdly sits around that nexus as well. And for for us, what makes them peculiar isn't necessarily that it makes uh, we we use the word peculiar instead of weird. Weird, I think, has some negative connotations. Um, even though if you are weird, you're probably family. That's one of our taglines. <laughs> but um, peculiar gives you that sense, a broad umbrella of things that are fascinating, interesting, fringe, you know, um, and and that's. There's a we have a big family here at the Peculiar Book Club, and we have ten thousand people who follow our Facebook page, and you know two thousand in the private group, and just lots of people who who are rooting for us, and we're rooting for you guys too. So Peculiars who are listening, I hope that you will go out and I hope you will buy Glitter and Concrete. I hope you will drink dirty martinis while you're reading it, um, in drag <laughs> possibly. Um, you know, get your feather boas out. I've got a couple, of course. You know, you you knew that I did. They're all black, but still, they're feather boas. Uh, <laughs> and and thank you, Alyssa, for being here. This has just been a truly wonderful, um, heartwarming, and also really just uh, shiny kind of moment for me. I'm really glad that this book exists in the world. But before we leave off, I always like to to see. You know, do you have something? you want to leave our listeners with? Is there something you kind of want them to walk in around words? You know, do you have something you want to leave us with today? Um, Drag is an art form and it has Mm -hmm. been for thousands of years. Um, And what is interesting about it is that it has endured these thousands of years, um, not just from, you know, people outside of the queer community, but from within the queer community itself. It wasn't always a, a beloved art form. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it was in and remains um, this active representation of queerness, the, perhaps the most visible representation of mm. queerness. And because of that has faced such backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, but it often happens in times when men in power feel threatened in some oh, way. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And it will continue to exist because it is such a powerful form of expression and it has continued to exist for thousands of years. So what's, what gives me hope is that the people who are seeking to oppress drag are the people who fade away, not Mm. drag. That's right. Uh, That's right. They go marching sparkly on into the future. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) With high heels that I could never pull off. (laughs) to drag and as uh justin vivian bond says which i always like to say glamour is resistance oh love it love it thank you so much for being with us it has been a true joy thank you all for listening come back for the live shows come back again for the podcast for davy's movie podcast peculiar with the movies and again we're just proud that we can offer a place where if you're weird your family